We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. This is the final weekend for campaigning before Missouri's primary election. As you know, that's on Tuesday. Some important issues and perhaps some careers are on the line. We're going behind the headlines and perhaps headlines to come with our two political specialists, Joe Manis and Jason Rosenbaum. Joe, thanks for staying. Jason, welcome. Good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot of politics uh, during the course of the last several weeks in advance of the primary. What haven't we talked about, Joe, that uh, that you think we should pay a little attention to now? Well, I think actually probably the charter amendments that are going to be on the county's ballot. Uh, I've been getting emails. I'm sure Jason has too. Uh, people asking about them. And um, so that's one thing I thought we could briefly go through cause so, so people at least know what they are. And basically it's tied to the fight in the county council between many of the councilmen and Steve Stanger. And before we start on this, I just want to state the obvious. Proposition 4, which deals with campaign contributions and interdepartmental transfers, those votes are not going to be counted for that because of a court decision. So when you see that, you can do whatever you want. It's not going to be counted. So we're I'm just laying that out there before we discuss the other two. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of key because many people – would like to see campaign donation limits on the local level since they have them on the statewide level. But one of the problems with that um, charter proposal was that it had a bunch of other stuff. The council also wanted to have more power over the budget, and there's some other things that were in there. And the the judge didn't necessarily ru- rule on that angle of it, but the bottom line was the judge said that the Summary was misleading, and Jason wrote one of the best headlines of all time, Judge Puts Kibosh on Volta, <laughs> which, uh, so he's right. I mean, you can vote on it, but it's not going to count. So if even if it passes, there's not going to be campaign donation limits in the county, at least for right now. The other two um, actually deal, as I said, with other parts of the fight. One of them would let um, the county council hire its own lawyer. Right now, they rely on the lawyer, the administration's lawyer, uh, which is basically a stanger hire. They don't want that anymore. They want their own lawyer because they feel like they can get more honest um, uh, help, legal help. And uh, so that's on the ballot that would allow them to hire that. The other one actually would – it wouldn't help uh, Councilman Trachis? No, but I think it would allow council members to enter into certain types of independent contracting agreements with local governments. Um, and that stems from this situation where Councilman Ernie Trachis did some legal work for some uh, school districts, and he's run afoul of the prohibition against doing government work to the point where there's, I think, a court case about whether he's going to remain a councilman or not. Yeah, yeah, we're still waiting. The judge's ruling, we're still waiting on the judge's ruling to come out, to come down. That got sent over to St. Charles County for a special prosecutor. So that de- that decision's likely to be within the next month. Now, this would not affect uh, Councilman Trachis directly, but it would affect anybody else in a situation like him. And in theory, he could run for a seat again. And then uh, if this passed, then he wouldn't run afoul of it. But that's really what prompted this. 
Do charter amendments in the county require a simple majority or 60%, as is the case in the city? Simple majority. Simple majority. My understanding is, is that's the case. The other thing that we haven't really talked a lot about is there are a couple of very feisty uh, citywide races going on in my old stomping grounds of St. Louis. One is for license collector between incumbent Mavis Thompson and Dana Kelly Franks, which has gotten especially nasty. There's this whole uh, controversy over Thompson bringing some business records of of, of, of Kelly Franks to the Post-Dispatch, and apparently they weren't redacted, like as far as the Social Security numbers, and that's caused a lot of controversy. The other one is the Recorder of Deeds race, which is my favorite office in the entire world. Uh, Sharon Carpenter is running for another term against State Representative Michael Butler. It's, you know, this race, I think, is is not as heated as I thought it would be, given the fact that Carpenter ran into some controversy about four years ago mm-hmm. with nepotism. I don't really think it's been about that. It's been about whether you want to keep somebody who's been in there a long time and has clearly made a lot of innovative changes to that office mm-hmm. versus uh, Butler, who is 32 years old has, I think, uh, a, a graduate degree and, and wants to kind of be the first millennial citywide holder. So I'll definitely be watching those two races, even though they, they do not affect my life anymore because I'm a St. Louis County resident. Yeah, and yeah. they could be a test, I think, for uh, the, aside from the governmental issues, the power of various different Democratic factions, because these are all Democrats. They are all Democrats. So whoever wins in the city uh, on Tuesday in these races, in effect, Will hold those offices. Well, Sharon Carpenter is a former head of the Democratic Party in the city of St. Louis. Oh, yeah. No, Sharon Carpenter has been around for about 40 years. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is if you look at the ward endorsements in that race, I think it's about 50-50. And Butler, who is an African-American, a place where African-Americans typically have trouble winning in South St. Louis Mm -hmm. for various reasons. And he's gotten quite a few endorsements in South St. Louis, which is Sharon Carpenter's home turf. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that translates into votes is another story because Carpenter's name recognition in the city is very, very high. And a lot of people, including myself, have dealt with her office before, whether it's to be recording a deed or getting a marriage license. And I, regardless of the nepotism controversy, like we haven't really had any issues dealing with the actual office. So that's going to be kind of a challenge for Butler. But he's definitely a serious candidate. Well, the nepotism thing, that's really old news, and people tend to forget things like that after four years. Yeah, and yeah. what's interesting is that there have been attempts by other uh, Democratic activists or city office holders to try to knock her off, and they haven't succeeded. So it'll be interesting to see if Butler um, has any more luck. Any sense of what kind of a turnout we might expect on Tuesday? Proposition A is big, and there's going to be a, a, a lot of people uh, coming out to vote on that. But uh, is this going to be a typical August primary or the low turnout? turnout I think not? it's going to be more than you normally see. Um, last time I checked with the county, though, it wasn't like what they were seeing in absentees wasn't a huge amount more, but mm-hmm. it was more. But I think that Prop A, which is the um, – Bottom line is it's whether or not to retain the right-to-work law that the General Assembly and then-Governor Eric Greitens approved about a year and a half ago, um, and Labor got a referendum on it. Uh, that, I think, is going to be driving most of the turnout, frankly, around the state. Yeah, And but- and if it brings a huge Labor turnout of current Labor members and, and retirees and their allies— 
I mean, even though labor is a smaller percentage of the uh, state workforce than it used to be, if you include retirees and their friends and all that, in a Democratic primary, they can make up about yeah. a quarter of the vote. Yeah. and I, So I, it could be key. And I just want to add, like, I've driven around South St. Louis County quite a bit, and I've seen countless no on A signs. Mm-hmm. Was, both Joe and I have been to, to anti-Prop A rallies, too. And, and the one I went to the other day literally had hundreds of people. And understanding that not every labor union member likes their labor union and not every labor member likes to pay dues, a lot of them realize that if right to work becomes the law of the land and there's no longer a uh, employees and, and oh, excuse me, unions and employers can no longer require workers to pay dues anymore, those labor unions are going to have less money. They're not going to be able to be at an advantage in, in, in negotiating contracts. And overall, like, this is a fight for their lives and their livelihoods. A lopsided vote is very important for the no voters, uh, Joe. And the reason for that is something I know that you've been hearing, that yeah. – uh, that if the no vote prevails, uh, this goes right back to the legislature. Yeah, I mean, because now it's not about just defeating it. It's about defeating it bad. I mean, Mm. this is from the labor perspective. If they can get a huge victory, and by that means, let's say they get 65% of the vote or something like that, which sounds crazy, but uh, in 1978, uh, a a right-to-work law was defeated with about 60% Mm. of the vote. But some labor leaders feel that they really need to get a huge, huge margin in order to discourage the General Assembly from just turning around in January and passing it again. Because yeah. because the Republicans still control the General Assembly. Uh, Republican is still in the governor's office. I interviewed Governor Mike Parson last Saturday, and he supports <clears throat> Prop A. I and- mean, so he's... He's made it clear he's in the right-to-work camp. And I was just going to say that um, the reason why we're kind of talking about the percentage of the no vote is the yes vote side. While there has been some activity, we've all seen the keep right-to-work in place ads. It's just not nearly been on the level of the no side. The no side has gotten millions upon millions of dollars from labor unions. Their, their, their members are clearly energized about this. And – that's why I think we're going to be looking at the percentage, because one of the things that was kind of seen in the run-up to this when gathering signatures, the question was, sure, labor unions are strong in St. Louis and Kansas City and maybe Columbia, but are do they have resonance elsewhere? And they turned in more than enough signatures in every congressional district. If they can win big everywhere, that could be a disincentive for Parson the legislature to act. Any well, polls out there that giving us a hint of what might no. happen? No, no. I mean, I've seen some, but they've mm-hmm. both all been internal, and, and so you don't know really what to trust or how you, it was phrased. And I want to make this clear. This Prop A thing has national ramifications. Uh, you've got national labor leaders. I mean, Richard Trump, who's the national president of the FLCAO, mm-hmm. was here about six weeks ago. And there's been other national people in the last few weeks. You've got actor John Goodman doing an ad for for the no on Prop A. Many labor people see this, as, and even some of the supporters of Right to Work, see that uh, if there's a victory in killing it, that they think it could have ramifications in other states. But if it passes, this would be, what, the 28th state to have yes, right to work Yes, because technically we are the 28th state who passed it. It's just that it's in limbo. limbo yeah. 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 yeah, it has not gone into effect. Let me ask about something that we haven't talked about uh, at all on this program, certainly, and that is 
Ann Wagner's race. She is advertising like crazy. And, you know, you'd think that she would probably be a shoe-in for re-election. Is she nervous about something? I think that she's probably nervous because she's running ads this early. And I do think that that race will be more competitive than it has in the past. And I haven't made a lot of Democrats happy by saying this, but the, the cold, hard reality is that district was gerrymandered to elect a Republican. And there are parts of that district which I think are still loyal to President Trump that the Democrat are going to have the, Dem- the Democratic nominee in that race is going to have to appeal to places like St. Charles County, Northern Jefferson County, even Western St. Louis County. So, do I think it's possible for a Democrat to win that? Of course, anything's possible. I think it's going to be challenging even under a, an environment where there's a Democratic wave just because of the way the district is drawn. It's not meant to be a commentary on whoever becomes the nominee because people like Courtman Ostrin and Mark Osmak are working extremely hard. They have dedicated supporters, and they're clearly going to give Ann Wagner the toughest race of her career. I think that people – but we're, we're journalists and we state facts. The fact is this is a Republican district, and it's still a Republican district even under a Democratic wave election – even if it's a, even if it's close. But it is notable that she ran no ads in 2016, and apparently no ads in 2014. Uh, so the fact that she's running ads this time and early before the primary right. uh, says something. I mean, yeah. it says that either she's concerned about again. Some of it's not just winning; it's the margin. Uh, because let's say she would like to go up, rise in the Republican hierarchy in the House. And if you barely win re-election, that hurts your chances uh, in yeah. in Washington. To be frank, aside from the stuff that I'm not going to repeat what Jason said, and he's right about everything that it that uh, it's Republican leaning, but it doesn't mean that lightning can't strike. You're yeah. seeing that. Let, let me bring up something uh, that uh, relates to a program we did yesterday. Jason, you were involved in this. Several listeners uh, were critical of Congressman Clay when he was on yesterday for comments in which he called uh, brand-new Congress and Justice Democrats dark money organizations, and he hinted that they support Cory Bush, who was his principal rival. His office responded, Congressman Clay stands by his statement. He invites your reporters to investigate the out-of-state dark money pipeline that is funding one of his opponents. That's a quote there. Uh, but he has two opponents, Joshua Shipp being one and Cory uh, Bush being the other. Uh, what do you make of that? Um, t- to be honest, Don, when Congressman Clay mentioned those groups, I didn't really know anything about them to, to challenge him on that. From looking at the FEC reports, like they are, I think, PACs, so I think yeah. you can see them. There were certainly some amount of that pack which had, quote, like, unide- I'm not maybe not getting this term right, but unide- un- unidentified donors, which means that maybe a lot of donors that donated a small amount of money. But, I mean, candidly, I don't know enough about those groups to really provide a, a deep analysis of them right now. It's something I'll certainly look into. Well, the, they're political action committees. They're not like uh, – I'm, I'm going to use these other terms of uh, 501c4s or 527s, which don't have to identify their donors. Or they don't have to identify their donors that often. These are PACs, and they are identifying their donors. Now, the issue is whether or not some of those donors uh, don't identify their donors, <laughs> uh, which you run into that, where, where you've got – uh, dark money groups who give money to groups that aren't dark money. I, I don't groups. know if that's the case in that situation. Right. I think that the bottom line is, well, the, the the taking money from PACs and not taking money from PACs is kind of a dividing line between Lacey Clay and Cory Bush. 
Whether that's an issue that first district voters depend, decide their vote on, we'll find out on Tuesday. Yeah, well, I, I'll point out, too, that we have links to both of these organizations so listeners can find out more about them. And the uh, producer's note on our web posting on uh, the uh, story dealing with Congressman Clay's uh, appearance with us yesterday. But I'm being told, even uh, as I speak here, that each organization requires donor to disclose name, address, email address, occupation, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that is that. Um, a little over a minute left. Anything else that you want to bring to our attention with regard to Tuesday? I, I think Prop A is clearly the biggest thing on the ballot. It's going to have statewide and national implications. It'll have implications in some of the races we've we've covered, like the St. Louis County races, where three incumbents, Steve Stanger, Bob McCullough, and Pat Dolan, have very strong challengers. Um, but I'm interested to see who will be the St. Louis Recorder of Deeds, too, because I'm a weird person. Yeah, I think— But you're a county resident now, Jason. Come on. But <laughs> but I want to, you know, agree with Jason from the standpoint that Prop A, I think, will have a trickle-down effect. And it could very well affect the county executive primary between Stanger and Montevani, and particularly— and I, I mean, so much so that Montevani has made it clear to some of the unions that he's saying he's also against uh, Prop A and that he would not. And, and he mentioned this on the on your show yesterday. Uh, but so my uh, but Stanger in his ads is is emphasizing it many times in the first few seconds yeah. that he's opposed to Prop A and he's opposed to right to work. So that'll be interesting to see how much of an impact that has. That's been quite a campaign. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Alex Hoyer, Evie Hemphill, with production assistance from Aaron Dorr, Caitlin Lally, and Charlie McDonald. The executive producer is Mary Edwards. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.